are live with Vincent Curatola. Vincent, it is Hi, so Vicky. good to have you here. Thank you. You know, Maureen's in the room, but I'm going to tell you this anyway. You made smoking so sexy. <laughs> I I was a smoker and I just hit 38 years of not smoking. Yeah, but I just re-binged The Sopranos a few months mm -hmm. ago. And I I have not wanted a cigarette in 38 years till I watched you smoke them. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you something, Vicki. I, I quit. I quit a, uh, three or four weeks before my final episode. And in my final episode, you know, stage five, they're making me smoke. So oh I God. called yeah. Terry Winter, a head writer who wrote, I said, listen, Terry, I told you weeks ago, I quit. Nice, nah, don't worry about it. We're going to get you the uh, cabbage filled cigarettes. They're like, Bleh. Ugh. Yeah. So I did that. I was, I was yeah. good with that. But I have, Vicki, I literally have people walk up to me in the street, Manhattan, no matter where I am. Yeah. Telling me I've quit smoking, but you made it look so glorious. <laughs> I picked it up again. I got, I feel sorry. No, no. True, true story. True story. Oh my God. You know, well, I have to say, I kind of felt that I didn't do it, mm -hmm. but yeah. wow. I felt so, badly when I heard that many times I heard that. So you smoked, you quit during the run of the Sopranos. Yes, I did. I, uh, um, when they found, when they saw me smoking in my first episode, which was only supposed to be my one and only episode. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, they, I it just entered into their head that I should smoke. And, um, that's, that cigarette, Vicky was a very close friend to Johnny Sack. It calmed Oh, him hell yes, it was. Black, you know, so they became very close, him and the cigarette. So... How did you, all right, so they gave you the cabbage cigarettes, but you're still having to inhale it. That would have been torture for me. I hate disgusting. the way those tasted. It was, there, there was no, it was just horror. It was just, and, and here I am with the great Sidney Pollock who they brought in oh. for a part. And I'm saying to myself, you know, if, if I could just light a real one, this would go so much better in my brain. It's just something about real, you know, nicotine just relaxes you obviously yeah that's why we used it you know yeah yeah but, um yeah i got through it i you know i got through it with the cabbage i was and then for about a year i did nothing and then after that um i started smoking cigars i've subsequently quit those though okay but the for me the smoking the smoke going through my lungs was the whole oh yeah thing right so if you've still got smoke going through your lungs yeah. wasn't it keeping the addiction alive oh, for no, you it's the addiction no vicky the addiction is the nicotine it's not uh, the smoke so that's why nicorette gum helped me so much ah because of the nicotine going right into my saliva and then into my bloodstream and it kept me calm you know so all during shooting for the sopranos <laughs> You're just smoking away. You're wow. Yeah. Did you smoke in your audition? No, I did not. But you know, once I went into production, you know how you you know you have a scene and then you you stop and they have to turn around. They may turn around days later. Right. So the prop people are looking at they'll photograph the cigarette and they'll say it was halfway down. So now we have to cut them for Vince, light it because on the reverse, right? You don't want somebody knowing. 
oh, he had a whole one, that was a little <laughs> one that's a, right? Right. That, that, that was a big production in and of itself. Okay, so we have to talk about this because I know that you did not start out being an actor. This came no. to you later in life. Okay, so you're a little kid. You grew up not where you are now in Jersey. Where, where did you grow up? Englewood, New Jersey. Englewood, right near okay. the George Washington Bridge. And you had you came from not no. rich, rich, but you no. you you were. My, my, I came from an ambitious, ambitious parents, ambitious grandparents. Let's put it that way. Very hardworking people. What were um, your we grandparents? Where were your grandparents from? My grandfather was from Messina in Sicily. My grandmother was from uh, Palermo, but they got oh. married there, came and settled on the Lower East Side. They were kids. They were kids. They had like no accent. That's how young they were when they got here. Really. Wow. Yeah. My grandmother. Did they have to go through um, Ellis uh, Island? Yeah. Ellis Island, mm -hmm. and, uh, which I wish people would go through it today, but they don't. That's another program. Um, <laughs> so you, anyway. so they, they came here yeah. and they, and had it, why New Jersey, why did they land in, in, well, they went to New York, they went to the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And then because of the confines of those small apartments, eventually, you know, they looked across the Hudson river and said, oh my God, look at New Jersey. You know, <laughs> there's more room. It's less expensive. They moved here. They went to the textile business, my, but my grandmother, at 16, 17, was a phenomenal cook. And she worked in a little restaurant down in the village, in the, in the kitchen. Uh -huh. And her two steady customers were Fiorello LaGuardia and Enrico Caruso. Wow. So when they came in for lunch, which was quite often, they would always say to the owner, is Maria in the kitchen? Well, why, senor, we can take care of, no, no, no. They would always want my grandmother to come out from the kitchen, which used to insult the owner. Wow. And they would say, Maria, I feel like having risotto, this type of a mushroom, not the other kind of mushroom, you know what I'm talking about. And they would do the whole bit. An hour later, it would be on the table. But she never went into it. She went into the, to her own textile business with my grandfather. Embroidery and lace. And how did she do that? Was she, how did she have that gift? The cooking? The, the embroidery and lace. I mean, oh, the, the cooking. embroidery and lace. Well, she, yeah. she, they bought a small factory. They did lace finishing. Uh, they did collars and yokes and, and all this other stuff for manufacturers. I don't know how or why she got into it. I was hoping she would go into the restaurant business. She didn't. But, you know, here we are. But my, they had one daughter, my mother, an only child. And, um, but my mother was born here. My father was born in Reggio Calabria. Came here when he was 19. They immediately drafted him into the army for World War II. Mm -hmm. He never went back to visit. He couldn't care less. He was as American as Octopi. Loved it, him and his four brothers and one sister. And never even went to visit. Didn't, couldn't care less. He built really? a huge business, a huge masonry business. Very hardworking man, very honest. and. Uh, and what brought him to that to that business? Did he grow up in it? You know it what? Or? You know what, Vicky? Many years ago, you couldn't just come to the United States. My grandfather in Calabria mm -hmm. had written letters to different craftsmen here in northern New Jersey. Said, "Listen, I have five sons. I cannot afford to put them through university, but the only way they can come to America is if they have an apprentice program. Would you take them on?" 
So four of them went into masonry and stone. One went into, they called it cabinet making, but we're not talking kitchen cabinets. We're talking about break fronts made by hand. That's what uh -huh. they call cabinet making. So right. they all came here that way, except the girl. She got married. She went to Argentina. You couldn't come directly here unless you had a trade. Her and her husband, Italian guy also, they loved Argentina. They stayed there. But that's how my father, as I said, he was 19, got here. And in those days, you had to have confirmation from a business owner that you were going to employ this man and this man. Right. And the government came around every few months mm -hmm. and they said, you still have, let me see his paycheck. You still have him here or did he disappear? We want to know. They tracked you. Mm -hmm. They tracked you. Not like today where it's, you know. So your father had like this incredible work ethic. I mean, he built tremendous, a, a. Yes, tremendously hard, very quiet man, extremely quiet man, uh, very stoic, uh, became a widower, unfortunately, mm -hmm. when he was 45, she was 39. We all lived together in one house. He never, never hung out, not the type, you know, and uh, passed at 82 years of age. As a matter of fact, uh, we brought him to, I don't know how many soprano premieres in Manhattan. We Aww. were the only show that had huge theater, uh, uh, what they call premieres. You know, wow. was, they used to walk up to people and say, I'm the father. <laughs> Oh, so he was proud of you. He was a gem. He really was. He really uh, was. So do, do, was your family created? Uh, did that, was there talent? Were there, did there, was there singing in your house? Was no, there, there was no singing. There, there was my grandfather, who I mentioned to you, my mother's father, mm -hmm. who came from Sicily. When he was two years old, mm -hmm. he was an orphan. His parents mm -hmm. were alive. They were uh -huh. very young, but they were very ill. Oh. They had to give him up. They gave him up to a Jesuit seminary in Sicily, Jesuit uh -huh. priests. And they raised him and they taught him calligraphy, a fabulous painter, and a remarkable artist. That was his thing. Um, he then, when he came to the United States, he became an editorialist for an Italian paper at the time called Il Progresso. And he was with, with them for a long time. And he was, he was creative. Uh, as an artist, but there was no performing artist in my family. I'm the only one. Well, art is art though. And art is art, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so did your, well, you did, your mother, I assume was not a lot, well, clearly was not alive when you started your career in no, show business. No, she wasn't, no, but my mother insisted that I go to prep school in Manhattan. Um, she had me take the exam for Loyola, and I passed it, I was stunned, stunned that I got into this school, stunned. Park Avenue and 83rd, this was a big deal, okay? Right. And uh, she passed two days into my freshman year. And I immediately wanted uh -huh. to pull out because I just couldn't handle the commute, I was upset. But I stayed sure. you know, in her memory, whatever. But she said to me very clearly, she's a very bright woman, a businesswoman. She said, Vincent, you want anything to happen in your life? You've got to be in New York. Wow. That was a statement that I'll never forget. Mm -hmm. And so with the grace of God, yeah, I, you know, I made my career in New York. And I guess they say, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. So That's what they say. <laughs> but okay, but, so but what was your life? Because you were in late 30s, 
I was 39. I was 39 when Maureen, my wife, said to me, Michael Moriarty teaches acting in Manhattan. Wait, time, what were you doing? I'm sorry to interrupt you, Vincent. I owned the what, what were you doing? You... I owned a masonry company. Very small. Not like my father. Very, very small. And you, I'm never, very you didn't friend. work for your father? No, no, I never did. No, he was he, he, just too big. I okay, but wait, own. before we get into how you started mm -hmm. to become an actor, you, from what I understand, you had stars in your eyes because when you were a kid, you worked, correct? You had I a, was a paper boy. You were a paper boy. But and who were some of the people you were delivering papers Dizzy, to? Dizzy Gillespie, <laughs> Sarah Vaughn, Tony Bennett, Jerry Ville, Wilson Pickett, Andre Previn, Unbelievable. Leslie Gore. Oh, the Isley Brothers. So much, so many musicians. That's yeah. wild. Englewood and, was hot with musicians. It really was. And would they would they talk to you? Did you have interaction? Oh, yeah. With them? Oh, no, absolutely. Oh, oh, sure. Absolutely. They did. Um, you know, here I was. I was a kid and it's like a Monday afternoon and I'm collecting for the newspaper. You know, you collect once a week and I'm looking at Tony Bennett. Riding his bicycle past my house to go to Jerry Bell's house for coffee, and they're both my customers, and I got to collect from both of them this afternoon. I mean, it wow. was wild. It was wild. Wow. Because you know, you had a lot of variety shows on those days. Ed Sullivan, Andy Williams. Oh yeah. So I'm looking at these people. I'm going, oh yeah, yeah, he's over here. He's Freddie Christie. It was crazy. Wow. And then one Sunday afternoon, one Sunday afternoon. Guy across the street from our home had a big party. He put up tents and the this and the bop, for the beep, for the boop. <laughs> and who's the singer? Bobby Darren. Oh. And I said to my mother, what the hell is Bobby Darren doing singing on the lawn? And it turned out this guy had like a piece of his recording contract. So he went to do him a fair. I mean, this, this was ridiculous. Wow. So I got the bug and I figured, you know, I'm going to go into music business. I went into another part of this business, obviously, but I'm roaming back to the music end of it little by little. Good. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so did you sing when you were a kid? I was, in a, I was actually in a rock band that we were very busy. And because I'm six feet tall, they used to, you know, I wasn't old. You had to be 18 to work in places that served liquor. Right. I was tall and they put me in the back with one, you know, one of the guitars and I had shades on. We played all over Manhattan. Where did you play? Because I was a the cheetah, I... the cheetah, which was I think West Forty Eighth or West Forty Sixth. Mm -hmm. uh, we played the the Peppermint Lounge before it wow. closed. I I was a kid. These guys were thirty years old. I'm I'm seventeen. I'm eighteen. You know, whatever. But uh, we played a lot. A lot of play. There's a lot of colleges. And how was your father with you doing that? Not happy. Yeah, that's what I would think. No, I'm not happy. <laughs> <laughs> not, not happy at all, no. But, and so uh, when you know, did you start the masonry business? I started the masonry business when I was 18 years old. I went to college for about 11 minutes. I didn't like it. And I said, I want to make money. And that's what I did. Yeah. Wow. And so you're a mason. So you're doing masonry. I never and learned. You're doing I, right. I never learned mason. I mean, I'm, I'm not a bricklayer. I'm not a. So you just were the business. You were the correct, business. Correct, correct, correct. And has that has that aided you in your acting career? That oh, you that a you're doubt. a good business. You know, you talk you talk to every client differently. 
You talk to every bank manager differently. You right. talk to every building inspector differently. You find out what their thing is and you zero in on it and they get happy and they give you what you want. That's acting. You did something very smart at your audition too, I want to talk about. <laughs> so, you know, because, you, you, because you've got the smarts, you apply the smarts to your craft and yeah. you need the both things. You can't have one without the other. No, I guess I, you can't. No. To be successful. So, okay, so Vincent, so you're a Mason. Your wife hears about an acting. Now, why? Where did that come from okay, at 39? Okay. Good question. Good question. Um, I am an absolute, I'm completely addicted to old movies. I mean, they should do an intervention. That, that's how much <laughs> I'm serious. So I, I think this was, uh, maybe it was around the beginning of the Turner Classic Movie Channel, maybe. Mm. And I couldn't keep my eyes off of it. I'm watching these black and white films. I'm watching these guys. They're cool, they're calm, they're collected. You know, they could, de they could deliver a line like nobody's business. Right. I said, my God, Maureen, if I had the guts, Someday I would love to do this kind of work. No, you could do it. You got no, no, no. I can't. I have to go give an estimate. I got to go pick up a check from a customer. I don't have time for this. That was my whole shtick, you know. Right. And uh, she called up. She saw the advertisement in Backstage Magazine. She called up, and Michael Moriarty happened to answer the phone himself. Oh yeah, I'll see him. Tell him to come in Wednesday night. He can watch one of my clips. And I went in I, with this incredible trepidation, like, what the fuck am I doing here? I don't, these, these people are artists. They've been- Wait, no, wait, had you done anything, Vincent? Had, no, did no, you no, do no, school? no, no, you, no. school plays, no nothing? No, 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 never did. Nothing? Nothing, zero, no. Wow, no. okay. And I went in and uh, I stayed quiet every, every Wednesday. I stayed quiet for weeks. Finally, he said to me, well, you're gonna, you know, are you gonna work on something? I, I had no idea what to do. You tell me. I, I said, well, tell me about yourself. Five minutes. And I did. He said, well, that's a monologue. I said, really? I didn't know what a monologue was. I swear to God. Little by little by little. Then uh, Dick Wolf had pitched Law and Order. NBC said, yeah, we're going to do it. And Michael immediately went to work every day. And believe it or not, I, I took over the acting studio. I didn't teach. But I kept all the the, the, the eyes dotted. Because you were the business guy. I was the business guy. <laughs> That's right. Where I am. There he had are. a couple of subordinate teachers, whatever you want to call them. And I kept it running for him for a couple of years. And I said, I'm busy. I got to go. So we shut it down. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Now, while you're but, in his class yeah. and they kept it going, you're doing monologues? Mm-hmm. You're doing yeah. scene study? Scenes, sure. You're doing Absolutely. scenes. Does he recognize in you right away, which I'm assuming he does, that there's something there, that there's talent he, there? He said to me, he said to me about maybe not quite a year in, he said to me, you know, you're going to do something with this, this life. He said, I don't know exactly what it's going to be, what it's going to be, but you're going to do something as an actor. I said, well, from your mouth to God's ears, because I really enjoy the work. And uh, here we are. Can you remember any of the characters that you played when you were studying? Oh yeah, Cassius from Julius Caesar. Oh wow, Shakespeare. Um, Richard the Third. Oh yeah. Oh. oh. Richard the Third. Um, Shylock. 
Wow. Do I love from the Merchant of Venice. Mm -hmm. you know a lot of stuff. A lot of Eric Bogosian material, too. Wow. Real dark comedy, you know, but I enjoyed it. I really did. Do you like comedy? I love comedy. But you know something? He asked me, well, he asked all of us in the class to write a five-minute skit, uh, skit, rather, something mm -hmm. comedic. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't really a comedy guy. No. Not at <laughs> he all. He wasn't, yeah. So I wrote this thing about mm -hmm. a funeral home. And I can't, I I'm just it. interrupting you for a second. I'm watching right now, Six Feet Under for the second time. I'm, oh, which, are you? Talk about a funeral home. Right, did, yeah. Did That's you ever great, see that show? show. You about can watch comedy. mine on YouTube. It's called Dearly Beloved. I, I have that. I'm, I have it. Is it on YouTube now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll be looking at it. I'll so I, I turned it into a half hour movie. I shot it with my own money. Um, and it's funny because the guy... Who's the guy that does all the housewife shows? Andy Cohen. Andy Cohen? He, yeah, I don't know. He saw Dearly Beloved at the Angelica Film Festival in Manhattan. We had submitted it. And he came up to my wife, Maureen. Nobody knew who this guy was. He said, oh, I want to turn this into a series. I said, series? Wow, please. Because, you know, in the funeral business, you can go on forever. <laughs> Yes, I mean, the strangest, <laughs> the strangest fucking things happen. I'm excuse my French. But I was busy, blah, 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 and I didn't do it. But now, Vicky, um, I may extend it, reshoot it this year. Okay, wait a minute. I have questions here. How did you learn how to write? I'm a writer. How did you learn how to produce a film? How did you do this out of nowhere? Oh, God. As far as the writing, mm -hmm. I just saw characters come into the funeral home and I wrote them. I mean, I could just picture them coming into the funeral home. And Are I they wrote based them. on real people or you just- uh, Yeah, kind of. Well, I had Tony Sirico in it. Tony Sirico, I had Tony playing a loan shark. This is before The Sopranos. How did you meet Tony? I met Tony in a little place called Mary Lou's down on West 9th Street. I know Mary, I knew Mary ah, very well. Here you go. You oh, look yeah. Like Mary Lou's girl. Oh, That's yeah. There were the days, Mary Lou. That's a compliment. So I met him there. The night I met him in 92, I met him. Wow. I met him, Imperioli. I met Kathy Scorsese that night. I met uh, Sofia Coppola and Vinnie Pastor. One night, one shot. Wow. So Sirico said to me, you know, you know, we hang here every Thursday night. He said, you, you sit with me, like we're in prison, you know, you come and sit with me. So that's what I did for, I don't know, four or five years. But then I graduated and, to Elaine's. And, then, and she took me on the whole wing, like oh. nobody's business. Wow. Big time. She took me on the whole wing. Wow. And when I became prominent on the show. She said to me, you're going to come here Sunday night. You're going to have dinner. Nine o'clock, I'm putting your fucking show on. And I don't do that for nobody. Wow. Sure enough, she'd kill the jupe, whatever the hell it was, and sit there like this. This was every week. Wow. She was my guardian angel. She really Wow. Oh. Yeah, she was. What a beautiful so, thing. Yeah, it was. It was a tremendous thing because she said to Maureen, and you know, Elaine was not crazy about women. <laughs> I understand that to be true. <laughs> she like she had a problem with women. Mm -hmm. She liked Maureen right away, and she says, "Bah, 
He's going to be busy. Watch. You're going to see what happens. And, and thank God it happened. Yeah. Okay. okay. So let's, okay. So the, the, the writing thing, you just did it. It's so just, obviously it's just, you have a natural affinity for this. I, I don't know. I, you know, and I give my students scenes, like mm -hmm. not comedic scenes. You know, I just give them, I give them an idea and then we go into something and I mean, it gets dark. And I'm wondering where, the market, where did that come from? It came from me. I'm, now I'm ruining these people because I'm making them, you know. <laughs> dark whatever. is they're good. Going, they're going home in tears at the end of the day. <laughs> dark is good. Okay, so then how did you, you funded it yourself. How did you know how to be a producer to put this together? You know, um, I had help. I had some people, Kathy, Kathy Scorsese was a huge help to me because she was able to walk me into Screen Actors Guild of Manhattan at the time. You had to bring a, an insurance policy. You had to bring a contract that you're gonna pay SAG people the rate for the beep for the boop. And she told me a lot of stuff about camera angles. Mm. She told me a lot of stuff about props. Mm -hmm. She told me about uh, a little bit about editing as much as she knew. Somehow, some way we got, I got through it, you know? And, did you bring um, the right, the right, did you know how to bring in the right people to do the right things? Or yeah, were you I did. doing I it all yourself? Right I really, I had a great, I had a great camera. We shot in 16 millimeter mm -hmm. film which was expensive, you know? Mm. And then we, we converted it obviously to video and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But- um, So if it's a 30 minute film, how much did you shoot? Oh God, uh, probably about an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. But nice. the reason we kept it at 30, Vicky, was because the festivals always seemed to want 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Actually, I cut it to 29, so they couldn't say no. You know? <laughs> Oh. And you won, you won, you we won, won a couple of, yeah, yeah, we did, we did. But, you know, I mean, time being a constraint back mm -hmm. then. So what I think I'm going to do this year, hopefully before the year is out, uh, I'm going to just reshoot, make it longer, make it in today's genre. You know, uh, we got every location in Brooklyn back then for a dollar. <laughs> One dollar each. Yeah. It yeah. wouldn't be that way today. No, but you know what? I got friends that own funeral homes, plural. So I'm good on that. I'm going to be good with when it comes to that. But yeah, but I want you to watch Dearly Beloved. I think I'm going to I'm going to watch it tonight. I got that on my I, I got I'm getting that on my queue tonight. Okay. I didn't know it was available. That's excellent. Yeah, so, somebody okay. somebody put it on YouTube. I don't know who I didn't do it, but it's up. There. So. so so you shot this film. What happens next? Uh, nothing acting. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that's showbiz. No, from '94 up until my first uh, episode of of The Sopranos. Okay. So how? I thought you did. Didn't you do like a Law and Order first? Didn't you do something first? Oh, I did a Law and Order in 1991. Uh, uh, Moriarty got me on it so I could qualify for a SAG card. It was like three lines. It was not a big deal. Mm -hmm. So then that got me frustrated. So in 94, three years later, I write and shoot Dearly Beloved. Then nothing happens from 94 till 98 when I shoot the first, my first episode of Sopranos. Okay, so tell us about that audition. How did you get the audition? Um, Chris Noth was a very good friend for a long time, you know? I met him, I met him met at a party, him? yeah. All right, well, Chris put me in an NBC movie, primetime movie called Exiled. Exiled, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And because we hung out in the lanes, he said, you know, can you want to do this? Says, yeah, I'll do it. Sure. Yeah. Well, me, Dabney Coleman, five I other people. I love Dabney Coleman. Do you love him? Isn't he great? He's great? And I know his son, Randy, who's wonderful. Do you? Too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. He was in it. And um, at the time, I had some girl in New York, a woman in New York, who was like a yeah, half-assed manager, mm -hmm. talent manager. And I met her at some function. I don't know what it was. She said, well, you know what? If anything comes up, would you mind? Can I submit you? Yeah, okay, mm -hmm. whatever. What do I got to lose? She came up with Sopranos. She calls me up. I said, yeah, I know all about it. Tony Sirico is my friend. That they started. And Tony already been cast in it? Oh, yeah. Tony oh. was cast from day one. Oh, wow. Day one. Yeah, yeah. Um, she said, well, there's a part, but the guy's 70 years old. He's an old time mobster. This he wears a little cap, he's got four sweaters on, you know. The I said, So, why the fuck are you sending me in? <laughs> I was, what was I, 40? Yeah, I was almost 45 at the time. Now she says, Go in, sometimes they change their minds. Okay, wow, do you owe her? <laughs> yeah, but then I dumped her. That's a long story. Okay, <laughs> I should, that's a bad word. So I was doing this thing with Chris on Staten Island location. She makes an appointment for me. I said, I can't, I'm, well, I'll never get there on time. Okay, what about tomorrow? I said, I'll call you tomorrow. I called her the next morning, I can't come. I'm gonna wrap late tonight. Well, oh my God, she said, these people, you know, they're not very patient people. I said, wow. see what you could do for tomorrow, which was a Thursday. I shot in Staten Island. I went all the way back to New Jersey around one o'clock in the afternoon, change clothes, I don't know why. I get to this thing on West 72nd Street and I'm late, I get out of the cab, I'm a half hour later. Oh my God. And I said to myself, you know, I hate being pushed and I don't like the rush. So I lit a cigarette. I started to walk around West 72nd Street. There's a, a window with puppies in it, a pet shop over there is a place where you buy cigarettes. Now I'm roaming, I'm roaming around. I finished the cigarette, Vicky. I decide I'm going to light another. Now I'm a good 45 minutes more late. I wonder right? if they're looking out the window and they're watching you smoke those I, cigarettes. I, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I never thought of that, but that's a good point. Uh, but in, in any case, um, I finally went up and I got to the doorway of this huge room and there's a, a woman at a desk in the middle of the room. They had rented space, you know. Mm -hmm. She's got pictures and resumes on her desk that is high. And I'm going, she doesn't even look up. She hears me come in. She says, uh, you're late. Okay, no problem. Goodbye. And I turn around. I'm, 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 le I'm leaving. Oh, my gosh. She looks up and she says to me, well, we'll stop. She said, did they uh, fax you the, uh, the scenes? I said, yeah, I got it. She said, all right, sit down. Let's read it. So she read with me once. She said, well, today's Thursday. I want you to come into Queens on uh, Monday afternoon. Queens, you might as well tell me I'm going to Pluto. I'm no <laughs> Davy Crockett. I don't find Davy Crockett. <laughs> so I went and so it's my callback, you know. So I look at the list, you sign in and there's all these guys for Johnny Sack, for Johnny Sack, for Johnny Sack. I mean, I was going, what the fuck am I doing? Couple of names they even recognized. Ah. And so I'm sitting in the waiting room, Vicky, and I'm hearing, 
the same dialogue over and over. They're all screaming. Oh, 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 Uncle Junior. Have, have, have. I said to myself, I, I, I got it. It came out. Are you ready, uh, Mr. Curate? Yes, I am. This is Mr. David Chase. This is uh, Alan Taylor. This is, hello, how are you? And they said, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. So they had a reader. And I started to whisper. <laughs> because I'm, I am diametrically opposed to whatever the fucking norm is. Okay, so now I'm whispering. <laughs> These guys were screaming. So wow. they're leaning in like E.F. Hutton's going to say something. <laughs> trying to hear me. And um, I did it. And they, they looked, you know. Okay, thank you. Okay, bye. And the next morning, she called me, the, the manager. He said, they're offering you the part. And wow. Said, okay, great. But I found out, I didn't know this, uh, that it was only supposed to be a one-off. And I was in episode six of the 13th that finally aired in Jan that later in January. And they got a pickup right away and they called me. And they said, we'd like you to do more. And then the following is, is when they made me a, a series regular in 2001, I think it was. So it went on from there. So, have, huh? go ahead. I have to tell you, and Maureen will back this up. Um, I've had four conversations with David Chase since 1998. <laughs> Have you heard about this guy? He's like a sphinx. I heard you say that he only talks to you if you're gonna die. If you're gonna go, <laughs> people would, I'm, I interrupted you and I don't like doing that. What, no, no, what, no, 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 it's okay. We're having a conversation that happens right. in life. Thank you. Um, yeah, we used to have people in the hallway, you know, at craft service, you're getting a coffee or whatever. And uh, gee, I hope everything's okay. You know, I said hello to Mr. Chase yesterday and he barely looked at me. He didn't say a word to me. I said, this is good. <laughs> Don't look for anything. He's gonna talk to you when you're gonna die. No, really? I said, yes. Because he doesn't, doesn't like, convers you know, spontaneous conversation. David, how are you? Look at the weather this morning. This guy will kill you with his eyes. <laughs> he killed some of my friends. He killed Joey Pants. He killed uh, Joe, Michael yeah. Imperioli. He was whacking yeah. my friend. So when he whacked you, like, did you know you were going? Did you know yeah, you were Terry going to went die? to call. Terry went to call me. Mm -hmm. And he said, Vince, um, these cigarettes finally going to catch up to John. Um, and he's going to die of, of, of cancer. And the episode is going to be called Stage 5 because there is none. You know, there's only Stage 4. Right. So uh, I said, okay, no problem. That's great. I didn't care. I'm a contract player. You're paying me no matter how many days I stay home. So really? You get paid for the oh, season yeah, no, no matter what? Oh, you get paid every season no matter what. Uh -huh. You could have you used me for an hour. I still get the whole season. Nice. Right? So <laughs> I was very cool with that. And uh, I said, okay. Well, I said, you know, I'm I'm on the foundation board of the medical center. Do you need anything? He said, yeah, actually we do. I said, okay, what do you need? Well, blah, 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 blah. So I, I hung up the phone with him and I called uh, the executive office and I got a, a major oncologist on the phone. Wow. And I said, listen, can the soprano writers meet with you? He said, yeah, absolutely, sure, of course they can. So we set it up 
And so that this way they were able to mention the drugs that Johnny would be on, what he would look like at certain points of his demise, you know, blah, blah, blah. But um, so, you know, they had those two episodes up on the screen at the Ziegfeld Theater in Manhattan. And when you have cancer and you're dying, and that don't look so good. 40 feet high, <laughs> and there's my wife next to me, my son, my daughter-in-law, and I'm doing this with my hands. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm closing their eyes. <laughs> but yeah, so no, it was cool. It was I'm cool in the sense that uh, uh, that thing that he relied on so, so much, that friend, is what eventually said, come with me. Well, it was another character in the show. Your cigarettes oh, were a character in the show. Yeah, yeah, Vicky, remarkably so. You really, it really was. So did people know when they were going to, like Vincent Pastore, that was shocking when they killed Vincent Pastore. I had yeah. a wonderful time uh, when, yeah, he's, when he's he did great. the show. Did he tell you about, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, you tell me. What? Did he tell you about Saudi Arabia? No. No? I don't think so. To, to November of 19, uh, some producer uh, sent him and me and Federico Florio yeah. to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia to sign autographs. Oh yeah. Do you, you, you think that we would have believed that we had major fans 6,500 miles away from home? Wow. They, they had, we, we were the Beatles when we got there. <laughs> But I don't want I don't want to digress. I want you to tell me about that. no no no. I have nothing planned. We're we're in the oh, moment, so oh, wherever we go is good. I know I just, but you did, were yeah. You were saying that he uh, did. People yeah, he know? Did, did he know when he was going to? I didn't ask Vinny this. Did he know uh, when yeah, he was going to go? You know what? I'm not I'm not talking out of school because he no, told no, no. them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, David, uh, when David got the order from HBO after the first season aired, I think it was like a week later, two weeks later, mm -hmm. they called him and they said, listen, we want another season. Mm -hmm. David said, I don't have one. David didn't write a second season. Wow. But apparently um, he wanted Vinny in the second season mm -hmm. and he wanted, and for whatever reason, uh, he said, listen, you're in second season, but you're dying. Oh. So Vinny knew it day one. I he, see. Day one. Uh, the reason, I don't know. I, I really mm -hmm. can't make believe that I know. But um, he was in the first two seasons, obviously. And let me tell you something, this guy is as famous as a bear aspirin, <laughs> just from those two seasons. Uh, obviously, whatever the other work he's done. Yeah. Just like, boom. Yep. You know, big put. We were, we were somewhere, we were somewhere, and a kid walked up to he and I and the parents were there and the kids said, oh my God, oh my God, you're Johnny Sack, you're Johnny Sack. And I said, oh, my name is Vince, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. And the kid looks at Vinny, he says, I know you, you're on the Sopranos too, but I, I forgot your character's name. Vinny looks at me, looks at the kid, he said, Sal. Yeah, <laughs> he couldn't say pussy. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's hysterical. Oh my God. And yeah. so did did it did that happen to each character? Like did did Joey Pants know, okay, this is it, they're killing me this year? Like, did they all did everybody know they're going? I, I believe I I pants, I think that he uh 
he came in mid-season. I forgot which one. And uh, David said, I'm, I'm going to give you the rest of this season and the first half of next season, and then you're going. And I, so I believe Joey did know how to time you. So technically, Joey did two seasons, but if you look at the volume of his episodes, it probably compressed to one season. And you know, there's so much conversation when when anyone gets when anyone got whacked on The Sopranos, like, are they really dead? Are they coming back? Right? Because right. right. Pussy came back. He you came know, back. He, a, he came, and Adriana. No, a lot of people don't believe that Adriana's dead to this day. They I'm one of those people. Really? Yeah. I'm one. You don't of think so, you don't you don't think that? I, uh, you know what? When Silvio took her out of the car, mm -hmm. and she starts to crawl into the grass, whatever it was, he's got that pistol. And he fires those two or three shots, whatever it was. I don't know that he killed her. I don't. Wow. Okay, so we have to talk about the ending. And I know that even, even Pasteur has changed his own mind three times on three Did different he? interviews I watched. Did he? About the ending. Have you changed your mind over the years or have you stayed solid? And what's no, your I'm, opinion? I'm good, but I had my own ending in mind, but that's another story. Well, now tell us what your ending would have been. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> my ending would have been, and I told this to Jimmy, my ending would have been, I'd have the camera overhead, mm -hmm. looking down at him and Carmela asleep in the morning, a little bit of sun's coming through the window, okay? We pull the camera back, 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 and they're in this little crummy, crummy house, cheap little furniture, a narrow little bed, and they wake up, hi, honey, how are you? Good morning. I'm good. Okay. They get ready. Blah, blah, blah. He puts on his shirt and his little vest with his name tag. He works at Walmart. And he says to Carmela, hurry up. He's, she's saying, get the coffee, do this. I got to run. I got to show a house. I got to show. In the she's a real estate agent. And he says to her at the breakfast table, you wouldn't believe the dream I had. Oh, my God. <laughs> That would have been my ending. Oh my God. All right. So tell me what you think about David's ending that I've heard that he purposefully did that. So we'd all be kind of. You no, know, uh, he recently said in an interview, I don't know with whom, but he was going to have, I was going to live longer. Johnny was going to live longer. And I was going to call Tony Soprano and say, listen, come and meet me in Manhattan for dinner tonight. I don't want to talk. I want to talk to you. And the idea would have been, it would have been a night shot. You would see Jimmy, uh, Tony Soprano, driving into the Lincoln Tunnel or the Holland Tunnel from New Jersey to come into New York, right? Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. boom, black. Done, it's over. Yeah. And I'm glad Vicky it didn't happen because my life wouldn't be worth a quarter today. <laughs> It's a true story. These people take this shit very seriously. They do take it seriously. Okay? I would they have had to move to I don't know where. <laughs> you probably would have gotten whacked. It's a terrible uh, Yeah, thing. it's very possible, actually. <laughs> oh, my God. But it... that was, yeah, David did come up with that idea. Well, okay, so how did you interpret what he did do? Okay. We, um, it was Jimmy and Lorraine and me and Imperioli and Van Zandt. We were doing a personal appearance at Foxwoods in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And a big one. That's Saturday night. We were then booked at the Hard Rock in Miami for Sunday. 
So they got a plane, gorgeous private plane, was so beautiful. They flew us down 11 o'clock in the morning to Florida. And then that night, Vicki, about six o'clock, we did another meet and greet at about 1,500 people mm -hmm. in the ballroom. About 10 minutes to nine, they, they, they grabbed us, they took us and they put us in a room with a bartender and a waitress and a huge screen so we could watch the film. Oh, you watched it together? We watched it together. But I love I think that. Seven hours. And those people out there had big screens also. They had paid God knows what to be there, you know. Uh-huh. So we're watching it. And of course, we come to that point where, boom, whack. And I remember distinctly, I looked over at Jim. And he was like this. <laughs> you saw the claws start to shoot out from his fingers. <laughs> what the fuck is this? Jimmy, you didn't know? No, I didn't know. You didn't know? Is. Nobody knew. What? Nobody knew. My cell phone. Always. You didn't know till you guys are watching it nothing, in real time nothing. with everybody else. The whole world. Wow. Yeah, my phone started to ring. All our phones rang. It's Maureen. My, the cable went out. Son of a bitch. What happened? No, the cable didn't go out. <laughs> Oh, how many of those calls I got within the first four minutes? The cable went out. <laughs> but it was over. They ran the credits. And I think that was the, the, the only ending of any of our episodes, Vicki, where there were no music for the credits. And the music was always great to end the show. Yeah. Always it was memorable. Like in a tomb. Wait, but didn't they use Don't Stop Believe? They used a Journey song. I think that was inside the... Uh, inside the, the restaurant. The, the, the ice cream. Yeah, whatever that but no, those, if I, I remember correctly, those, those credits. I think you're high. right. Yeah. And that was a very profound silence after all of that, all those years. And then just, boom. Okay, so now you're sitting there with six other cast, seven other castmates. Yeah. What do you all say? What um, does everybody think just happened? The, the thing is, what the fuck happened? Excuse me, but that's exactly. <laughs> what did David do? Now, we got to go back out into the ball. We and you guys don't know more than these people know. No, they were not happy. I felt bad for them. I really did. I felt bad for them. I mean, here they are. I mean, they, they, they were fans, I'm supposing, since day one. Of course. And they're going to go home. Like, they're going to, I don't know what the fuck they're going to do. They weren't happy. And I felt, I, I, we all felt bad. But mm -hmm. then we realized that um, David never would have done a Dallas thing like who shot JR. Too obvious, you know. Right. So my take on the whole thing is I, oh, and then two weeks after the episode aired, I got a call from my manager in LA that Hillary and Bill Clinton wanted to do to a spoof on the ending of The Sopranos. And I said, what are you talking about? What, do what, man? He said that they're gonna be in the diner. Would you be at the counter? When they come in, they're not going to order onion rings. She's going to order carrot sticks. They're more healthy for Bill. <laughs> and Chelsea's outside parking the car. I said, I remember on. that. You remember? It's also on I remember day. that. It was Father's Day morning. So <laughs> Secret Service walks in. They sent the gorgeous limousine. Maureen and I go. I said, yeah. listen, 
I got to be back three o'clock. It's Father's Day. Uh-huh. You know, we got to shoot this, and I, I'm going home. So Secret Service, <laughs> and I'm sitting down. I'm eating eggs in the diner. <laughs> they come in. They they make sure the place is all right. It's this. Hillary walks in. Thank you so much for doing. Bill walks in, and he says to me, "Oh, you know, I, I just love your show so much." He said, "I feel so badly." You guys, he said, "Are you guys going to come back?" I said, "Bill." Are you gonna come back? <laughs> I said, with a straight face. Because those people never leave the Clintons. They're, they're so I said, by the way, can I ask you something? He said, oh yeah, sure. I said, do you still smoke cigars? And he looked at me. He said, only on the golf course when she doesn't watch me. I, said, oh, that's cool. I busted his job. But we had a good shoot, we really did. It's on okay, YouTube. so now tell me, when what? you're all sitting there, sorry to interrupt you, That's when a, you're all sitting there, yeah. do you have different opinions about what the ending means? Do you no talk one, about it? Are no, you too stunned? What, what's, we're stunned. We're stunned. We're, Nobody offered an opinion. And not only that, not only did, did no one offer an opinion, but suppose someone would have overheard our opinion. And then they take it as gospel. You know, and then you wind up in the paper. Oh, so-and-so said it's nah. We always, but over the course of time, Vince, did you come to have an opinion? Have you come uh, to have an opinion? Yes, I have, Vicky, a very strong one. And I feel that I don't, I'm, I don't feel that the story ended. I feel that your ability to look at them through a window has, the window's now been closed. Mm. That's all. It's just been closed. They're still here. They're doing this. They're doing that. You're just not allowed to watch it anymore. Ah, I like that. Yeah, that's just. I like that because you know something. Uh, to 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 walk into a diner, uh, ice cream place, and blow away this guy—that's a little rickety. It's too obvious. It's too easy to do. David's not an obvious guy, you know. That's just me. I love it. So, this is a. When did your life change, Vince? Because you had only the one show, right, yeah. in the first season. Right. Now, right from doing that show, did it start to change? Tell me when it happened. What it, happened? It started, it started, it started, Vicky, the first couple of episodes of the second season. Mm -hmm. Even though the one episode, and the people would just start doing this like, <laughs> nah, that can't be <laughs> Somebody else, not him. Um, but the second season premiere, the first couple of episodes, that's when it started. I mean, because everybody, I mean, we didn't have, we couldn't binge, we couldn't, we, we, no. we were home. Yeah, we're we had home. DVR, we were but right. we were home. That's There's right. no way I'm not watching it in real time. Right. I'm not right. taping right. it. I'm watching it. Yes. Yeah. And, and we used to empty out is. restaurants. Yeah. Restaurant people used to complain. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, you guys. Sunday night, I don't do any business. Everybody goes. Oh. <laughs> so how? Okay. So when do you give up the masonry business? Oh. Uh, oh, one. I said to my son Ryan, very hardworking kid, very, very, very wonderful businessman. Mm -hmm. I said, "You want this business?" Because we had property attached to it and trucks. And yes, 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 I'll do it. So he did it. He closed it a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Went into real estate development. Um, because I can no longer walk onto a job site. It would be stupid. 
could be crazy. You know, and I didn't want to tell that, but you know, he had a good point too, my son Ryan, when he said, you know, they see you, uh, they're not going to pay me. What? They're gonna think what? your father. Your father's is. Oh, he's rich. We you don't need he's, the money. Well, whether you need the money, don't worry about. It. <laughs> he, really, that worried him. So I, I get away. it. Yeah, I, I get it. Uh, so one of the things, not one of the things, probably I think the the most endearing thing. You know, as I was telling you, Vince, I just rebinged the whole show, and thank you. What's so fabulous about it is that it holds up a million percent every you know the first episode was tough the pilot was tough for it was me. wasn't it yeah it was yeah. tough to and i was watching it with my beau and he hadn't seen it the first time around i don't know how he was busy working but yeah yeah a lot of people. the first episode he doesn't believe me he's like yeah okay i don't really I, we had to watch that first episode three times until we could get past to the second. It was rough because a lot was going on, introducing a lot of characters. Mm -hmm. My mm -hmm. daughter and her boyfriend were watching it. They're the ones that said, you got to watch The Sopranos. We can't stop. Yeah. And they watched the first episode, were confused. And then they read a, a synopsis of what it was about, mm -hmm. went back and watched it again. And that's how they got into it. So we did the same thing yeah. because it is confusing, the first it episode. It is very confusing. And, okay. and, um, don't forget that that pilot episode was written and shot, I think in 97. So it was at least a year and a half went by before uh, David got a green light from HBO. Oh, wow. Proceed. So it was so, a very different show. It was. Yeah, episode it was. two. It, it's a different show. So anyway, it holds up. It's just it's it's. There just isn't another show like it. I don't no. think there ever has I, been, and I, I don't be think honest. there ever will be. No, I'll tell you something. Um, people, and I get emails all day, every day, all over the all over the world, literally, um, where people, some people will say, it's like, you go into the Museum of, of Art, Metropolitan Museum of Art in Manhattan, and you're stunned by this thing that got painted 400 years ago, but you cannot stop looking at it. <laughs> and I kind of think that's what this show is and will always be. It's always just something be. you cannot stop watching. So how was it for you guys on set? Like, because you are of, by the way, your relationship with James Gandolfini was such a masterful thing to behold the two of you together, the work that you guys did on screen together, because you had such a complex relationship um, being enemies on the one hand, and yet being such respectful friends. We, you were friends. We were, we were friends because, and I appreciate what you just said. I love you for that. It's true. Jimmy and I, Jimmy and I had a, uh, we had a great love for each other. It showed. Uh, we really did. But I'll tell you something. We, our characters rather, mm -hmm. were responsible for so many people and mm -hmm. so much money that it could have been imploded in a heartbeat if tempers were allowed to come to the floor. Mm -hmm. We were too practical for that. Mm -hmm. and we knew that the whole goal of this thing is to make all the money in the world. We can't do it if we're dead. And okay, but me. Johnny Sack loses his, when, when, when Ginny gets insulted. Correct. Practic so 
this is what I was going to say before my love and respect for the character, aside from the sexy cigarette smoking, which was a whole nother thing, but you're the, but Johnny Sachs love for his wife. And, and it's more than love. It's a devotion and a loyalty right. that is, and very complicated too, because you're ready to kill Joey pants for, you know, what happened or, do, but at the same time, you don't like her, that scene where she's in the basement binging. Oh, no, my God. Here, I, I've defended you. And now you're making the situation worse. What do you want to do, get fatter? So the next joke's going to be even worse. And then I'm going to wind up killing more people. If I'm, st I'm stepping out for you, you're my wife. You've got to go with the program and try to lose this weight that you gained since your knees went bad many years ago. You used to be a fabulous dancer, a professional dancer. Your knees went, you gained a lot of weight. Here I am asking for a killing. And here you are not doing your part. What are you trying to do, get bigger? So that, that enraged Johnny. It really did. And Very um, complicated though. Very, very real and, and very layered that he would oh yeah. uh, you know, have that loyalty to her and, and do what yeah. he'd go to the extent that he did, but at the same sure. time, hold her accountable. You know, I'll tell you, from what I understand, from, from real, real, real Vicky old timers, couple in that life, he would not have had to ask permission from anyone back then. Oh, really? He could have just done it. He would have been in the clear. But as the years went by, it became more complex. And I had to go to my boss, Carmine, to ask for this hit. But someone, two people really, really, really in the know said to me that never would have happened. You could have hmm. just gone ahead and nobody would have blamed because you okay. were right. So how much of that, that's a, that's a great segue to my next question. How did you guys have wise guys on the set? How much did you, did you research what you would do? Did you have friends you could go talk to? Well, how no. did you get Johnny Sack? Okay, I'm, I'm so glad you asked me that. There's no one, not even David himself, ever came to me, ever came to me and said, I think Johnny is this or I think Johnny is that. Not wow. once, Vicky. Not wow. Once. All those years. But the writing was so specific that the minute you would get your new script and you would read what you're doing, you say, yeah, I got this. I got it. I got it. I know what he's thinking. I know what this guy is thinking. As far as um, my character many times in, in the press, whatever, has been compared to John Gotti. Mm -hmm. But I don't think Johnny was anything near him because, you know, Gotti was tough, man. He was a rough gangster. Johnny was more of a racketeer, Johnny Sack. Mm. Not a gangster. There's a difference between the two, you know? Mm -hmm. and because no, Johnny was more about making money and yeah. back. Yeah. Johnny could have been part of Enron. So could Tony Soprano. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just guys that move a lot of money around. And who's to say that in the corporate world, people don't get killed? Maybe they do. So basically. Although Tony was known to get out of his car and whack somebody. Oh, with a yeah. yeah bag sure do that. No question about it. Yeah. No question about it. But as far as research, Vicki. Um, Did you know I, wise guys? I've seen them. Yeah, I've said hello. They've said hello to me. Usually what I, what I used to get from them when I did bump into them, when I was in Manhattan or before COVID, is they would look at me and do this. 
<laughs> Meaning, yeah, you did it. You rang the bell. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate it. But no, I actually never went to, uh, I never absorbed any of that. And it's funny because people, some people will come up to me on the street and they'll talk to me in this like, well, you're from, you're, you're from the Bronx, right? I am. Okay, so how you doing? Everything all right with you? You doing your man? Mm -hmm. I go, hi, how are you? My name is Vince. They look at me, they're pissed off. Because I'm not talking like what you're they think. You're not a goomba. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> Here you go. So that happens a lot. But no, I didn't do any research, Vicky. I really didn't know. Only because, only because, I always felt that Johnny, like you said, was a businessman. And I, I felt that Johnny would have used anything possible. And I believe a lot of corporate guys will use anything possible to get what the hell they want. And if that includes, you're going to put somebody in a barrel, that's what's going to happen. Mafia. Did you have no anybody in mind? Did you model Johnny after anyone in your life that you knew? My mother. Or my mother. Your mo okay, now this is interesting. Yes. Yeah, yeah, my, my mother was that strong. Wow. Very fat. She was a fashion plate, a very quiet, demure woman very dangerous how so in the way that she protected she was they could have made michael corleone after my mother wow which i'll give you a tidbit mario puzo who wrote the godfather mm -hmm. they asked him they said where did this godfather character come from he said the godfather was my mother really? that's a true story that is a true story Wow. And my mother was my mother was the type you would not at all disrespect her or anyone she loved. Didn't have to be a family member either. If my mother loved you, she owned you. Wow. And she would step out for you in all kinds of situations. And Johnny, and my mother was a Virgo. They dot every I, cross every T. Johnny was like that. I'm like that. And Johnny wanted everything. You're a Leo, though. I'm a Leo. I'm a Leo. That's true. But I have that thing. That, but I'll tell you right now. If you look at these two, I got a pencil and two pens. You see them? Mm -hmm. God forbid these are not on my table tomorrow <laughs> when I come in this room. <laughs> I turn the house upside down. <laughs> me too. I'm a Scorpio, right? but I do that too. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's me. So my, you say, where did Johnny come from? Johnny came from an innate sense of things have to be done correctly. Mm -hmm. Don't you ever lie to me, ever. That was my mother. Mm -hmm. And when it came to a dollar, my mother would give you, if you needed a dollar, she'd give you 10. But don't rob her. That was Johnny, I think. That sounds, that sounds right. Okay, so now there are sides, there are families in The Sopranos. When you guys are on set or when you're hanging out, does that real, does, does the on-screen on relationship lead into real life? How no. does that work? No, not at all, no. no. Matter of fact, my students are always unbelieving of this fact. We never talked about the scenes while we were on set. We never talked about the work when we were in an airplane flying to a person up here. We never said our work. We would talk about cars. We would talk about, you're going to do that benefit Saturday night? Yeah, I guess. We never talked about the work. Never talked about, never called each other by our character's name, even accidentally, because we were there to work. Right. Period, end of story. 
And you and all were, were you all good friends? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yes, yeah. We were close. We were close. Um, it morphed into a couple other things as the years went by. But I'll tell you something. Um, Robert Ila called me yesterday, and Sweet. we've been close since he's a kid because his mother used to work full time, and she used to say to Maureen and I, "Listen, I know you guys are going to that thing Saturday night. You know, Robert's a kid. Would you?" And we used to watch this kid. We actually Aww. like fucking babysitted him. Oh yeah. Aww. Now he lives in LA. He's a professional poker player. He wow. does very well. Yeah. And he called me yesterday with snow. How are you? And you know, it's funny because anytime I see him, I bite his head. <laughs> I'm very, you know, but I actually, we were at the Emmys. They, you know, they always put us in the Peninsula Hotel. And I got the tuxedo on. Maureen's about ready. And the doorbell rings in the suite. It's okay, Maureen, I got it. I'm, I'm going. I open the door, nobody there. But I see swinging on the outside of the door, a big shopping bag. It's my God, what's, I look inside. It's a big thing of depends. <laughs> I look down the hall, it's Robert Isla running down the hall to the, this son of a bitch, I'm gonna get him later. We've been like that for years with this kid. He's, he's a wonderful, wonderful human being. Him? Jamie Lynn, Tony Sirico, and this past Saturday night, I introduced Dominic Kinesi at the cutting room to do his singing gig. 91 years old, he came in on the QE2 with his wife, Jane, two weeks ago, so he could do this gig. Wow. Right? Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about you and singing and how, so you said you were in a, in a rock band when you I were- I was in dead. a rock band, and then of course I put it away probably before I was 20 and then just concentrated on my business and then you know, eventually focused on acting. But in the second season, uh, we did uh, an episode where we had a card game that lasted for three days and three nights. I remember and it well. Right? Frank Sinatra Jr. Mm -hmm. And who was the dealer? Paul Mazursky. Mm -hmm. Great actor, great writer, great director, right? Three days, it's like we're in a tube. Right, Frank Jr. and I and Sirico, we became very close friends. This was 99 when we shot that one. Yeah, 99, yeah. Became very close friends. Um, and we stayed, I stayed in contact with Junior for years, years. So I think it was five years ago, maybe. Uh, he said, come and see me in, uh, Atlantic City, he was performing with his orchestra. Yeah. He says, bring Tony. So I, I get a hold of Sirico, the two of us, and Maureen, who I would take a limo, we go down, does the show, nice, beautiful, we're happy. He says, come on, we're gonna go get a snack. Let's have a midnight supper, Junior. Some steakhouse. You're sitting there, you're waiting for the food, you're waiting for the drinks. Frank starts humming songs. I start humming songs. He says to me, go an octave higher than me on this next refrain. <laughs> I said, okay, let, let's try whatever the, it was. He said to me at the end of that night, he said, you should sing. I said, no, I'm not a singer. He said, you're an actor. Actors tell stories, singers tell stories, don't they? He said, and you have the range. I said, nah, Frank, did not happen. Sirico's there going, 
Shut the fuck up, Frank. He ain't going to become a fucking singer, right? <laughs> you know how Sirico is, right? So I got the bug in my head. Weeks later, I called up a friend of mine, Gene Cornish. Gene is one of the four I, I booked Gene Cornish in 1986 on Bleecker Street. See? Yeah. Where? Into what? What? In what? What? Was in it? the Rock and Roll Cafe, which was originally the other end. There was the bitter end and bitter then end the other the end. Other but end. I ran oh. it when it was the Rock and Roll Cafe. So Gene Cornish know. used to play. See? Yeah. I called him. I knew him. I called him. I said, you got a good uh, jazz guitarist because you're a rock guitarist. Yeah, a guy. I said, let him call me. I called him, spoke to him. I said, you got a good, good pianist? Oh, yeah, sure. Jazz piano. Yeah, I got one. So we put this thing together. And I started doing gigs. So what happened? You're doing them uh, down in the, in, like in the, where are you doing gigs? I got four coming up in Nyack, New York. I got two coming up in Fort Lee, another one in Hackensack. And I don't know when the fuck I'm going to get to my next. And you're doing like supper clubs, I assume. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I do 14 songs. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly. You know, that stuff. Now, I my piano, yeah, really, I love it, man. My pianist owns a place called Maureen's Jazz Cellar in, in Nyack. And he's also the pianist at the uh, Carlisle. So nice. he brings the guitarist, the bass player, him, and he brings the uh, 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 the drummer. These guys make me sound like I know what the fuck I'm doing. Okay, so it's wonderful. And now we're going to do a benefit, June 26th, the Sunday afternoon, for a girl who's a a new student of mine. Her name is Olivia Hutcherson. Uh, she's 32. When she was 26, they diagnosed her with breast cancer. Yeah. She was okay for three years. It came back. Oh. Came back and she's a choreographer. She's a professional dancer. And she's a former San Francisco 49ers cheerleader. Oh my. Now she's 32. She's battling again. She looks fantastic though. And so I'm going to put this thing. We're doing a benefit. If you want, I'll send you the thing. Yeah, send me the um, link and I'll put it in the... And yeah. I did put the class. We're going to talk yeah. about your teaching yeah. in a minute. But um, so um, I, yeah, that's my next gig up. And then I got four of them in September, and we continue. But I, uh, I because it is, you know what it is. I don't look at it that I'm a singer, Vicky. I look at it as I'm an actor playing a singer, uh, and that's uh, how uh. I get through it. Wow. You know, yeah. my father sang, I was telling you, my dad was in uh, Casco Mountains, Messer yes, and he yes. sang all the, I grew up with all that music. I love that. Sure. And I got to see Frank Jr. do a show with Frank, with yeah. his dad, right yeah. at the at the kind of the end of Frank's career. And he yeah. was kind of forgetting lyrics and Frank yeah, Jr. Yeah, was yeah. helping yeah. him. Sure, but still, it was still, Magic. and the love between the two of them was yeah, a beautiful thing to see. And he only calls his father Sinatra, never says dad. Really? He only says, you know, when Sinatra recorded that reprise, huh. yeah, and you look at him going, shit, that's your father, right? You call him Sinatra. But, you know, he died just before a sound check, Junior. He was oh, really? in Florida. Yeah, he had, a, he had a 10 gig thing lined up. And I think it was the first gig. And uh, it was about 4.30 in the afternoon. Hmm. So I don't feel good. I don't feel good. I don't feel good. They called paramedics to this backstage mm -hmm. uh, and he died just like that. Wow. This is hard. 72. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
That's horrible. By um, the way, a Craig Delacio says, my daughter and I drove up to Maureen's in Nyack to see Vince four years ago. Right. He is outstanding. Oh, God, thank you. But I, I also you, want Craig. to tell you, I want to tell you something that this uh, someone named Eric Levick wrote early in the show, and I glanced over at it, and I want to come back to it because this is very important. Um, let me find it. He said, The Sopranos has helped me with autism and anxiety, depression, and stress. I knew on the whole series I wasn't alone with how the characters were dealing with what they were dealing with. I was amazed what I'd seen on the show. I mean, I'm sure you get this kind of stuff all the time. It's a heartwarming. First of all, Craig, I love you and Daisy. But to hear something like that, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't want I, I to become morbid. Mm -hmm. um, but there have been several times where I was asked to, you know, could I go see a young kid? Because um, he's not going to be here next week. And he loves Johnny. I did that a few times. I, I hate mm -hmm. the fact that I had that I did it. No, no. What I mean is, I know what you mean. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that. I, I and I would. I'll do it again. You know, because I, I, the impact of this show mm. uh, is really you can't define it. It made people happy somehow, some way. And you know, I have kids who run up to me now. They're like 15, 17, 18. It's a whole new world. Oh, oh my, my daughter's God, 24. You're yeah. like, you guys are the, the rock stars. I told my daughter you were doing the show today. She's, her and her boyfriend are losing their minds. Oh, They're so excited. They love what are they you. Name? What's their names? Samantha and Tristan. Tristan and Samantha, God bless you. You got a wonderful, pretty, pretty and smart lady here. God bless oh, you. Thank you. All right, so let's, before we go, let's talk about your class. Let's talk about okay. your acting. Okay. How, okay, so how did you come to start coaching acting? What, what, okay. How did that happen? Uh, okay, uh, it happened, it happened. Actually, it happened up in Nyack. Here we go again. Where um, I was doing some work, I was doing some singing, and I said to David Budway, the owner, and his wife, Brianne, I said, you know, I said, there are so many people who misunderstand what acting is. They really, they misunderstand it or they don't feel they're equipped to even attempt it. I said, you know, that's a sin. I said, I'd like people to be, to have more, to have, what's the word I want to use? The, the ability, the availability to talk to someone if they're interested in this kind of work. And I'm going to make myself available. They said, take the place, do whatever you want. We started with Saturday afternoons. A couple of years, as I said, COVID came. Mm -hmm. Then after that, moved it to here because it's just quicker here. People get here quicker, blah, blah, blah. But I got to tell you something. And I, I don't want to sound, I don't know how, to, how this is going to sound, but it's true. And it's from my heart. And I used to come home from being on set on Sopranos, and I used to say, Maureen would always say, well, I had a car, and she was great, man, over. And you know, you have extras, you have background talent, you have background people. And I became very early on conscious, Vicky, of the look in their eyes when here you are a principal working. And I said to myself, maybe they need a little help. Can't help everybody. Maybe I could help a hundred of them. Maybe get a little confidence going. So they'll go out and audition. 
Right now they're scared stiff. And that was my impetus for this thing. I, I and don't, so, and so you said that you have international students. How did this happen? How did you? Oh, okay. Uh, Facebook, Facebook. I don't have Facebook. Maureen has Facebook. And uh, I put the Facebook page up on the thing. Oh, and I'll wonderful. do it again. Yeah. Um, and she, she blurbed it. And my God, the thing blew up. Wow. It, it just blew up. And, and, you know, so we do every Thursday evening on Zoom. We have an every other week Tuesday course because it got too big. And we have the Saturday one, which is my real sweet spot. As you said, you like creative people to come to your home. I love it too. And, and I so tell, up on, tell what you do on Saturdays. I think we were, that was before we went on the oh, air, what you do. Uh, what I did, what I do is I picked the ones that were somewhat local for obvious, you know, because some of they are a lot of them are uh, across the pond, I guess. Yeah, so tell us where your students are. They're, uh, they're home, they're in my house. Saturday well, no, but tell us where your internet. Oh, I'm sorry. Speaker. New yeah, Zealand, okay. Australia, London. Uh, I want to say four in Texas, three LA, wait. Uh, oh, uh, Helsinki, Finland, I got two. Yeah, you believe this? And they speak English as a second or well, third Can language. they do scenes on Zoom when they're yeah, in different oh, places? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like really? you and I, yeah, we're talking. Same That's thing. That's true. We'll uh -huh. talk in character. They'll talk in, oh yeah, we have a lot of them. They're wonderful. They are wonderful. It's just so Chicago, like a lot of places. Right? Where are we? Oh, we've got two in France, south of France. Unbelievable. It and is so, unbelievable. Okay, so the Saturday class, you pick those from, how do you do that? I how picked them, well, obviously they need to be local, of course, right. but uh, within 50, I think 100 miles even. And I, you know, and I say, listen, I only have X amount who I work with personally, face to face. Do you want to be one of them? And if they're dedicated, they come in and they got to keep coming in. And they then they do coming. a one-on-one -on -one with you? One-on-one -on -one with me sometimes, most of the time. And I've told everybody this, I'm not an acting teacher. If anything, I'm a coach. Mm -hmm. You got to have something going on for me to, you know, help you. But if you're like, I can't help you. There's nothing I can, I'm not a teacher. But when you see them begin to get it, less is more. I don't let them go over the top because I'll shoot I love them. that. Yeah, less is a lot more. And that's what I want. I want just normal conversation. Normal. And plus you're going to have them go where you don't expect them. I assume you're helping them be the way you are, which is to make a choice that not every, that no one else is going to make. You're going to make the opposite choice. Uh, yes, exactly right. And this is why uh, so many of them, you know, I'll see them in the beginning and they'll do a scene and they'll begin, their character will begin crying. And I stop, say, stop. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I said, you know what's more effective than crying? No, what? Being on the verge of crying is more mm. effective than crying. That's trying it. not That's to cry. Exactly right. Yes. Or they're drunk in a scene. They're, they're drunk and they're I said, you, you know what, you know what people do when they're drunk? They try, try to, to act to. sober. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's so true. So let's try that next uh, the next take. Let's try that. I bring That's everything right. down to the other exercise I make them do is I make them lose something. Lose something? Yeah, their keys, their phone, mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Lose it. Now you can use the entire house. I want to see you look for this thing, but in earnest, do you know why? 
because you got to go pick up so-and-so at the airport. You can't even start the fucking car. I want to see that going on in your head. You lost your keys. You lost your phone. You don't know what the hell you're going to do. You got five minutes. Wow. That's a great exercise. That is. That sounds fantastic. And there's only one more. One yeah. more. I tell them, you're going to sit in that chair or couch, and there's nobody in the room. It's only you. What do you look like when there's nobody looking at you? <laughs> what is your stomach? Are you hanging? Out? What, what do you look like when you know and nobody's looking at you? You got five minutes. I want to see it. Wow. Learn how to do nothing. I want to see it. Well, you as Johnny Sack took those moments. You had a lot of quiet moments. I you did. had a lot of moments where there was nothing yeah. said, where you just, you know, that takes a lot of confidence and a lot of um, Thank you. balls, as it were, to not speak mm -hmm. and to just let your, mm -hmm. your intention fill the room and right. this, take the space. Yeah, yeah that's I, amazing. You know, I'll tell you something. I, I've learned that from uh, over the years not knowingly that I was learning. I learned it from some family members hmm. who you would say something to them and they would just do this. <laughs> That's all on you, right? You're trying to figure out what they're thinking. That's nerve wracking. It is, ner it's highly nerve wracking, <laughs> but it works. Have you ever seen Barry, the show Barry? No. Okay, it? I'm going to suggest because uh, Henry Winkler plays an acting coach. Oh, really? And he's oh. a failed actor, but he's like this acting coach. And I think you'll get a kick out of it. Okay. And the other one is the Kaminsky method. Did you ever oh, see? Oh, I love it? the Kaminsky method. Okay, well, Barry is a different kind about a hitman. Oh, yeah, yeah. About a hitman who takes an acting class. So uh, with Henry Winkler, I think you'll get a kick out of it. That's fun. And I know Michael Douglas. He's a wonderful guy. Is he's he? A wonderful his father walked up to me in the lanes after the stroke. Yeah, he said, you're Johnny, right? From Sopranos, right? I thought, oh, shit. This is Kirk Doug. You watch me? Wow. Oh, I love this show. I just, oh, wow. oh, my God. And he shook my hand, right? And I'm driving home that night with only my left hand on the steering wheel because I want to keep this one the way. <laughs> oh, my God. I come into the house. I go, Maureen, I'm washing one hand and I'm going to bed. Wow. Yeah, but I'm the, but, but, but the Kaminsky thing. Oh, it's just, uh, well, I think you'll like Barry too. Henry Winkler. I'll watch Barry. He's really funny as the, as the acting Barry. coach. And so have you got, I'm sure you've gotten to meet a ton of your heroes oh, as a absolutely. result. Of, so tell me, so it's before we go, I, I like, I won't let you go. I'll let you go after you this. To, I'm, I'm here. I, so I'm going to tell you somebody I introduced Maureen to. Oh, okay. That was one of my big moments in LA at the Kodak Theater. Mm -hmm. it was. So we were there. For, we had been nominated as a cast for the Emmys, Academy. right? That's no, that you know, that one. Yeah, we did that. We also did SAG Awards there, right? In early early years of, mm -hmm. of of the Sopranos. Anyway, um, so we're up in the front, and there's the big stage, and we, you know, HBO execs were over here. Soprano cast was over here, and over there's Clint Eastwood standing on the wall, refusing to sit down. His, uh, <laughs> Nicholson, he stood through the whole thing. This wild area, like standing up like this. Man. So wild. That you know, I got to tell you something. That's a movie star. That is really what you call a movie star. Mm. Eastwood, him, you know. Anyway, 
So I go all the way in the Clint back. Clint was 92 today, by the way. I know, right? Yeah. God bless you. But uh, yes, yeah, so I go out in the back all the way through this thing so I can smoke a cigarette. I'm dying. I'm having like pain. I got to smoke. All the way back, I'm outside smoking. Like the whole world is outside smoking. <laughs> so I'm done. I'm coming back through the back door. I'm walking in, walking in, walking in. And then to my left, I see this woman sitting down. I'm thinking to myself, could it really be her? And I look at her and I walked over and I just, I, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. It was Maureen O'Hara. I said, uh, I'm sorry, Ms. O'Hara. My name is Vince Kier. Oh, I know who you are. Oh. Oh, you know. I said, um, my wife Maureen was named after you, which is a true story. Wow. She said to me, where is she? I said, she's up near the stage. She said, take me to her. I put my arm out. She took my arm. We're walking slowly. She was having a lot of problems with her legs. We get up to the front. Maureen's got her head turned to the left. She's talking to Tony Sirico at the table. And I said, Maureen, Maureen. She gets up. Oh, my God. She said, Miss O'Hara, I can't. I can't. The look on my wife's face, you oh thought I bought her the whole fucking diamond. Oh my gosh. Oh, and the woman was so happy to meet a beautiful Irish girl that literally was named after her. Wow. We did ba -ba 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 -ba. I walked her back. I, I, you know, I brought her back to her seat. That was one of my big ones. Oh, one of my big exciting. moments in this business. That's pretty exciting. That's damn exciting. Okay, tell me one more. What? Another person. Yeah, give me another oh. person. <clears throat> uh, Matt, uh, Matt, Maureen and I were at the one of the premieres of Sex in the City in Manhattan at the Museum of Natural History, I guess it was. They had it there, I don't know why. So I'm standing with Maureen, I'm talking to somebody, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting a, a drink or something, pop-up bar. And then somebody's behind me saying that fucking Ginny, did she lose any fucking weight? And I turned around, it's Richard Gere. And he said to me, I love your character. <laughs> I said, you happen to know my fucking lines? Yeah. And you know who else? Jim Carrey. Oh my Jim God. Carrey knows Johnny Sachs' lines inside and out. <laughs> I did a movie, I'm in Hancock Park with him, doing a film years ago, which I got cut from because the timeline was beyond my character, whatever it was, but I got very well paid. Son of a bitch knew every in Johnny Sackler. Oh my God, isn't that fabulous? That shock. And that Brad Pitt, another one. Get out of Brad here. Brad Pitt will <laughs> recite, he will recite, I take a sad song and make it better. He will recite everything. I did a movie with him in New Orleans. Killing them softly. Yeah, great. yeah, yeah. These, it, those are the those are the times you go like, no, this is not happening. Oh my! It's an God. out of body experience. Yeah. 
Oh, I just watched a Brad Pitt movie for the first time called Snatch. Did you ever see Snatch? Yeah. His character, you can't understand a word he says. He's so funny in that movie. Exactly. Yes. He's very talented. And he's one of the most humble, 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 no, humble guys. Very. Isn't that lovely? So respectful. He's just so down to earth. He's just, he thanks you for everything. He's wonderful. Really. That is so lovely to hear. Well, mm-hmm. Vince, I have I'm, I can't tonight. I'm watching Dearly Beloved. I I I'm I'm on it. Yep, I got that going YouTube. on. It may say Dearly Beloved, then put a movie. It, it might say whatever. You'll okay, get it. You'll get it. I'll find it because I'll put, I'll type it. your name in. I'll get I'll You'll put type your name, my name in. in. That's all. Yeah. I'm so excited. I it was so lovely to meet you. You exceeded all my expectations. Um, so, listen, I you know I got to tell you something. And I'm no prima donna. There's a lot of stuff I won't do. But I, when I looked you up, I saw how you handle people. But I go, I got to do this. Well, so I'm so, for my tens of fans who are all so grateful, <laughs> um, I'm so, I thank you so much. I've thank enjoyed you. this time very much. You're a and professional and I appreciate that. Thank you. And congratulations to you and Maureen. May you have 40 more. And I look forward to, to more family. you on the screen. And I want to see this dearly beloved made longer and more. I'm going to make I'm gonna it watch this. And you're going to know about it. All right. I love it. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you Vince. So Take much. care. Bye.